right, so this morning we are back into the Gospel of Mark. Some of you have joined us in the last two months. We took a break. We have been for 28 weeks, uh, summer and fall last year, studying through the Gospel of Mark. We got as far as about two-thirds of the way through chapter 6. Today we're going to pick back up. We took a little break for a Christmas series and then for our beginning of the year forward 2022 series. Uh, but today we are going to dive back into Mark chapter 6 and continue our study verse by verse. Let me say this also. If you did not receive a communion set when you came in, if you'll raise your hand real high, we'll make sure somebody gets that to you here real quickly this morning. We, uh, uh, we're going to take communion together this morning at the close of the teaching. And as uh, keep your hand up there, they'll come uh, serve that to you. But thank you guys for, for serving our congregation this morning. Make sure you've got the communion set. Mark chapter 6. So here was the premise. And this goes way back to, to June of last year in our introduction. And you can even go back online and, and watch that teaching. It's the very, very first teaching there on our website or in our church app. Um, we introduced Mark to you. And we told you that the gospel of Mark written by Mark was actually... You could call it the Gospel of Peter. It was Peter's account telling Mark the events of the life of Jesus as Peter experienced them, and Mark wrote those and recorded them on behalf of Peter. Now, Mark uh, just cuts to the chase. Mark's Gospel is straight up the story of Jesus. If you'll notice, Mark does not begin with the genealogy of Jesus like Matthew does and like Luke do, and those are important. And even John gives us kind of a, a genealogy of Jesus when he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's going all the way back to the beginning of time, or even eons before that. So Mark doesn't, doesn't even begin. Now, the genealogies are important, and we've seen that, but Mark just begins straight up with the story of Jesus. In fact, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were with us during that series, you may remember there's a key word throughout the gospel of Mark. It's the word immediately. Everybody say immediately. immediately. The word immediately is used 42 times in Mark's gospel. Everything is fast-paced. This is a moving story of Jesus and the activities of Jesus. There are 20 miracles recorded in the gospel of Mark, and there are only four parables. Mark doesn't focus so much on the teachings of Jesus, the public teachings. He deals with the teaching of Jesus to his disciples, but he deals with these miracles and the activity of Jesus himself, and then the activity of Jesus through his early disciples. Mark is writing predominantly to Christian Romans, Romans who have accepted Christ, and now he's recording Peter's events and activities with Jesus for them to know who Jesus is. And this is our whole purpose for, for studying verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph through the Gospel of Mark, is because Mark is so straight up the story of Jesus, my belief is if we will dive into the Gospel of Mark, we will discover some new things about Jesus we've never realized before which will allow our relationship to Jesus to grow deeper. We'll gain a greater knowledge of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing, which gives a greater opportunity for him to transform our lives. And his ultimate goal is to transform us to be more like him. And so we're going to go through Mark, and we're going to discover who Jesus is, what Jesus does, what he's doing now, what he expects of us to be doing in relationship to him. And so we're going back in now. We, uh, we stopped halfway through, or about two-thirds of the way, as I said, through Mark chapter 6, so we're going to pick up today in verse 30. But let me set this up for you, just a real quick review of, Matthew, of Mark chapter 6, the first 29 verses. Uh, we have, at the beginning of Mark 6, Jesus, now it's been about a year and a half into his ministry. The, the disciples have been following for a year and a half or a little longer, and he then commissions them. He, he anoints them, and he says, now you go. And you preach the gospel, heal the sick, and raise the dead. I'm sending you out. So for a few weeks, they go out village to village. Now, what's interesting about Jesus telling them in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, heal the sick, or uh, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and raise the dead, is that all the way through the first six cha five chapters of Mark, Mark has been telling us that was what Jesus was doing. Over and over, Mark has said, Jesus went about preaching the gospel, 
healing the sick, and raising the dead. Or, I'm sorry, casting out demons. Now Jesus says, that's what I've been doing. You have seen me doing that. Now I send you to do what I have been doing. Wow. Is that not crazy powerful? I've been preaching the gospel. I've been healing the sick and I've been casting out demons. Now you go do what I've been doing. That was the whole reason Jesus had the disciples following him for three and a half years was to show them who he was, what he does, and then to release them to go do that so that others could be released to go do that till generations and centuries later, you and I could be equipped to go do that. That's what this message is about this morning. So back to to Mark 6, Jesus sends the disciples out. During this time, uh, we read also that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. Mark stops and tells us the story of John's arrest and that John was beheaded. Tells us about the grieving uh, that Jesus experienced when he heard the news that John had been beheaded. And then we have the disciples come back. And they start telling Jesus everything that was done in his name as they went village to village. They're giving him glowing reports. They're excited about ministry. But Jesus now, somewhat overwhelmed with with grief, and and you, you may say, well, now, wait a minute, he's Jesus. He's son of God. He's the risen king of kings and lord of lords. You're telling me he was overwhelmed? He was in a human body. We're told by the author of Hebrews that he experienced temptation. He experienced life just like we do, yet he was without sin. But why would he sleep in the front of a boat if he didn't get tired? Why would he weep with Martha and Mary if he didn't have a heart to grieve the sorrow that they were? He knew he wasn't wasn't grieving over Lazarus. His heart was broken for what death was doing to his family who were now left to grieve. So Jesus experienced these things. Jesus has been ministering to multitudes of people. For a few weeks, he's been without his disciples because they've been out uh, ministering. I got a cough. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a cough, folks. I promise. Maybe allergies, I don't know, but it's not the other. So, so he's been uh, preaching. He's been doing these things now without his partners with him. He's got this sorrow of John the Baptist, and he's just ready for some rest. He's ready to take a few days out and just refresh his own soul. And he realizes that after what the disciples have done, how they have been pouring themselves out into people for these weeks of ministering, that they need, they need a rest. So this is where we're going to pick up this morning. And we're, if you haven't figured out already, we're, we're moving into the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, as we read this and we go through this this morning, uh, we have to keep in mind that this particular miracle, all the miracles are fascinating that Jesus uh, did, but there's something unique about this feeding of the 5,000 that's got some special purpose and meaning to it because it is the only miracle recorded in the Bible that's recorded by Jesus, recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four record this one miracle, and this is the only miracle that's recorded by all four of them. So we have to read this with an open understanding that there's something significant here. Holy Spirit, show us. Show us what that is. In this, we're going to discover the compassion of Jesus for lost, broken, hurting people, his compassion and his care. We're going to discover his power to meet every need at every level. And we're going to show his empowerment to his followers as he releases them to serve the 5,000. So let's begin reading in verse number 30 this morning. We're going to read through verse 44. It says in verse 30, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They made a a quick, fast run to get to the other side of the lake. When he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd. Now he's trying to get away from the crowds for a short time, but he gets there and there's this huge crowd. 
he saw a great crowd and he had, say it with me, compassion. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them. Now, I want you to read this last statement with me together out loud. You, read this with me, you give them something to eat. This is where we're going to focus this morning. What was the responsibility of the disciples in this incredible miracle of Jesus. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, and particularly Philip, when we read in the Gospel of John, tells us it was Philip. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. That blessing that he prayed could have gone something like this. Every, every Friday evening at sunset when Jewish families gather for Shabbat, which is their beginning of the Sabbath day rest. It starts sundown on Friday night till sundown on Saturday. And they eat a meal together. And when they eat together, they give a blessing over the food and over the drink. And the, the traditional blessing that they pray over the food is they pray, blessed is the one who makes us holy and who brings forth bread from the earth. So perhaps that what, that's what Jesus prayed in that moment as he broke the bread. But it says, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So it's more likely that there were fifteen to 20,000 people that ate that evening with Jesus and the disciples, counting the men, their wives, and their children. This morning, what I want us to to focus on is something I believe the Lord is speaking to His church, the capital C church, but to us as Victory Family Church. Last week, we talked about serving in the house of God. We talked about uh, you don't have to have certain spiritual gifts to greet at the front door and to serve in the nursery or things like that. We talked about just the housekeeping needs within Victory Family. Today, we are talking more about stepping out with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit out into the community as a demonstration of the power of Jesus to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. The key verse for us is that verse 37. You give them something to eat. So I've titled today's teaching, Feed the Need, which that is the subline of our uh, Victory Cares food ministry uh, that, again, is this Thursday, volunteers, 930. If it's super cold, we'll do it indoors again like we did last week, but it's supposed to be sunshiny and a beautiful day, so come on out, give us a hand. So we talk about feed the need. Today, God is telling us, Victory Family Church and His church, feed the need. You feed the need of others. The miracle of the feeding was Christ put into the hands of the disciples everything they would need to meet the need of the people who were in need. So three, three truths we're going to pull out from this this morning. The first one is this. You feed the need of others based on Christ's compassion and his commands. You feed the need based on Christ's compassion and his command. You see, Jesus is headed to the other side to a desolate place, a remote place, to just find some rest with he and the disciples. They're going to debrief and he's going to coach them through some more of uh, what they experienced while they were in their travels, uh, healing the sick, preaching the gospel and casting out demons. But it tells us in verse 34, that trip, that retreat is interrupted. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion 
on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The fact that they looked like sheep without a shepherd moved the heart of Jesus to put his retreat on hold and go back to teaching, which is what he's been doing for weeks in that area, on the other side of the lake anyway. But it says he had compassion. This word compassion is interesting. The word compassion really is twofold. You see, it, it means in one sense to have sympathy for the suffering. Now, sympathy for the suffering means your, your heart is moved at the suffering of others. But you see, compassion and sympathy are a little bit different. Sympathy, compassion is sympathy. Sympathy is not necessarily compassion. You can have sympathy for someone's need and lift not a finger one to meet the need. Compassion is sympathy in action. So you're not only moved by the need of others, you are so moved that you act. You begin to reach into meeting the need. That's compassion. Compassion is action. Oh, that rhymes. Datrian told me earlier to rap when I was testing my microphones. That would have been my rap right there. Compassion is action. Whatever. If my kids were, well, promises here, she's probably like, Dad, shut up. <laughs> Compassion is sympathy in action. And that's what Jesus has. So he does two things here. He models compassion for us, and then he's going to mandate compassion for us. By modeling compassion, he sees the people, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. The imagery there for, of what Jesus sees is like a flock of sheep who, they're not the sharpest animals in God's creation. And the idea is being in a vast wilderness, and in a wilderness, there's not a lot of uh, food available, a lot of grass to graze, and there's not a lot of water sources. They're there, but they're not vast, and a sheep usually walks with his head down trying to graze and trying to find something to graze. So the imagery that Jesus has of sheep without a shepherd is that People are wandering around like sheep who are trying to find something to eat and something to drink, trying to find some sense of direction, but they can't find it themselves. So they require, sheep require a shepherd, one who can lead them to food and water, one who can lead them to life. And we know Jesus to be the great shepherd who leads us in the way, the truth, and life. So he sees them like they're sheep without a shepherd. And one translation even says he saw them harassed. And they need help. Jesus, again, is on his way to his spiritual retreat with the disciples. But he's so moved with compassion that he stops and takes action. These people need truth. These people need the bread of life. These people need a taste of the living water. And so he stops and he teaches. But he's giving us a model here. And in fact, 1 John, John, the apostle who's there when this happens, he writes this in his epistle later in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3. You don't have it on the screen, but he says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, John is saying Jesus modeled for us what it is to give ourselves to meet the need. Jesus met the ultimate need that every man and woman on the face of the earth possess, and that is the salvation of our souls, the redemption of our lives. So Jesus models this compassion for us. From Jesus in this, we learn that, that people aren't our enemies. We often draw lines in the sand and say, well, if you don't vote like I do, and if you're not of the same denomination that I'm of, and if you're not this, and if you're not that, then we are enemies, and we treat each other that way. We, we war against each other like they're enemies. We are enemies. But we learn from Jesus, people aren't enemies. Now, these people, some of them and others who come along in the next year and a half, will be the very ones who yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
But he doesn't see them as enemies. He didn't see you and I as enemies when we totally rejected him and thought we didn't need him. He doesn't see people as an interruption. Oh boy, here we go. More lepers. More lame people. Man, if I have to spit in the eyes of another blind man, I think I'm just gonna, I ain't going to do it. He doesn't see people as interruptions. He doesn't see their needs as an interruption. Needs don't happen at a convenient time. <laughs> you, ever, you ever had a need come up that wasn't convenient for you? And the people God's going to send to you on his behalf to help you in that need? It's not convenient for them either. But he's looking for the ones who will step up and, and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. You see, we discover that Jesus has saved us to, to serve others for him. When Jesus is going to bring a miracle, he's going to send somebody that is equipped with his resources. We'll talk about that in a moment further. But you see, he saves us to send us to serve the need of others. You've been saved to serve. And as we said last week, you serve because you're saved. It's what Jesus did. And then Jesus mandates compassion. He not only models it for us, but he says, this is what you do. He told those disciples in the beginning of Mark chapter 6, I've been preaching the gospel, I've been healing the sick, and I've been casting out demons. You go now, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. So he mandates for us now our calling to meet the need. He tells the disciples in verse 37, well, yeah, you guys can't go buy enough food for this crew. You feed them. Now, that seems absolutely ridiculous. They've got nothing to feed 5,000, 15,000, 20,000 people. And even Philip's statement, hey, would even 200 denarii buy enough? Even if that's what they had in the money bag that Judas was carrying, they can't, there's not going to be that much food in the area. It's a desolate area. There's no McDonald's. It's not like there's... Chick-fil-A popped up everywhere. Especially if it's Sunday, they're stuck like Chuck, right? It's not like they can just go get it. It's an impossible task. You give them something. To eat. But John also told us this in his rendition of the feeding of the 5,000. He said Jesus was testing Philip because, watch this, Jesus already knew what he planned to do. Jesus has called you filled you with his Holy Spirit, and he sends you to people in your circle. I love the picture. Jesus tells the disciples, have everybody sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. By the way, speaking of groups and getting connected and serving and meeting the need, next Sunday we start our signups for our spring uh, life group semester, which will begin in early March. Just a plug right there for that. I'm just getting plugs in everywhere today could use a few hair plugs probably right about there, but Jesus puts them in these circles, and he gives the disciples a responsibility. You have circles of influence, my friend. Believe it or not, on your job, there are some people who like you, unless you're the boss, <laughs> and there's a lonely place at the top sometimes, except you're supposed to be taking people there with you, right? But there are people who you have influence with. Family members, friends, co-workers, your banker, your dry cleaner. There's all kinds of people around your circle of influence that, that God calls you to. And Jesus anoints you to take his grace and his power, his mercy and his miracles to them. You say, well, I'm just lowly me. I just love Jesus and believe John 3.16 and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, not to sit, soak, and sour. You've been anointed for that to serve. Otherwise, Jesus would be better off just taking you home to be with him the moment you got saved. Why did he leave you here? Because he wants you serving the needs of others. That's how he's going to meet their needs. He's going to meet it through those who are filled with his 
Spirit. We're going to come to that again in just a moment as well. But over and over again, we find in scriptures that God is faithful to the followers of Jesus who he expects to serve. John 15, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. I'm sorry, not yet. He hasn't yet. He's getting ready to. John 15, he says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Here's a popular verse we all know. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for one's friend. No greater love does a friend have than that they would be willing to lay down their life for you. And then verse 14, he says, you are my friends. Do what I command. Now, we know this verse to be talking about Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. In a sense, he's saying, there's no greater love that the Father could demonstrate to you than I lay down my life for you because you're my friends. But verse 14, verse 14 speaks something even further for us this morning. He says, you are my friends. And what does he say friends do? Friends lay down their lives for each other. So if we stop with the understanding that Jesus laid down his life for us, we stop short of what Jesus is trying to tell us. That as I laid down my life for you, you are my friends and I am your friend. Do as I command. Lay down your life for me. We can't get away from the mandate, church. There is a reason we have been filled with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just so we can get Holy Ghost doodads running up and down our back when we feel blessed one Sunday in a service. It's good to have the doodads. But the doodads will fade before you get to lunch. But the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you, empowers you to serve him by serving others for him. John 13, here's Jesus washing the disciples' feet, verse 14 and 15. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. There's the model and the mandate. He says, I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I don't believe Jesus was instituting another ordinance such as communion or water baptism where every time we come together we're supposed to take our shoes off and wash each other's feet. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. It, is a very, it can be a very humbling uh, experience, particularly when there's some reconciliation that needs to be made and somebody in the relationship is willing to humble themselves enough to wash the other's feet. But more than mandating we should always be washing each other's feet, what Jesus is mandating is we should be serving one another because the very Son of God was willing to stoop to that level of service in washing the feet of his disciples. He gives us the model and he gives us the mandate. We need the compassion that Jesus has, not just the sympathy, but we need the compassion that moves us to action as Jesus did. Don't see people as our enemies. See people as our opportunities. See people as Christ's mission, as he's put us in that circle of influence with them. He models compassion and meeting needs, and then he mandates that we do the same. Second truth is this, you feed the need based on what you receive from Christ. I've already probably lost some of you when I talk about the fact Jesus wants to work his miracles through you, because you're like, well, you know, I'm just the guy who believes John 3.16, and that's the extent. But you see, Jesus will never ask you into a situation of someone else's life without giving you the resources, without equipping you to be his hands, his feet, his voice, his ears. You might even say, well, Jesus, you're sitting here. I don't even like this person. And Jesus will give you a like. At least enough like to go do what he's called you to do. If you'll die to yourself and accept the responsibility. He asked the disciples what they had available to feed the 5,000. They didn't have anything within themselves. 
In fact, all they really found is, is a boy's lunch. Now, there had to be other people with food in the crowd. Do 5,000, do 20,000 people show up without some sort of snack? Come on. There were ladies in the crowd. Ladies are always prepared. There's cheese crackers somewhere. There's some beef jerky in somebody's bag. There's some food. But what they found was there was one little boy that was willing to, to give it. But Jesus, they go out and they find this little boy's lunch. They find five loaves. Now, these are not, these are not nice Italian bread loaves. These are little bitty cakes. Doesn't take much to feed a young boy, a preteen. So these are five little bitty flat cakes and two small fish. These aren't red fish out of the gulf. These are little bitty small fish. And Jesus is going to make that plenty for that crowd with enough leftovers for those who chose to serve it. Doesn't seem like it's enough. That's the miracle, folks. The miracle is Jesus can feed 5,000 with whatever little bit we give him. Whatever time we give Jesus, he can do some things through that time. Whatever talent of ours that he's given to us that we're willing to give back, he can do some things to bring some miracles into some people's lives. He places the, he breaks, he gives the blessing, he breaks the bread and he breaks the fish and he puts it, puts it in the disciples' hands. Now there's 12 of them and they gotta, they've, each, they've each got to get a piece of fish and a piece of bread. The miracle happens as they go along breaking off the bread and the fish. And every time they go to break, there it is. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You can never outgive God. He will always supply. But the miracle starts here, and it begins multiplying when it's in their hands. Jesus is giving them what they need to meet the need. When he has called us to step into people's situations and bring life, bring hope, bring truth, bring miracles into their existence, he equips us with what we need. Amen. You see, we're not capable of meeting the needs ourselves. Maybe we've got a little extra cash on hand and we could, we could toss a 20 someone's way to help them get some groceries that week. But we can't do that for everybody. Jesus wants us to help. But he's going to equip us. If he expects us to do that for 20 people, he's going to give us some extra cash. Whatever it is he's asking us to do, church, he is always going to provide it. Now, here's the deal. We wait until we feel like we're Benny Hinn or Oral Roberts or somebody and can lay hands on everybody and they get healed. We're waiting for that. And I'm telling you, friend, he's waiting for us to just take a step and pray for somebody that's sick. You don't know what he can do until you step out and lay hands on somebody. You gotta, you gotta, you just gotta step out. So I was, I was at the stables the other day. One of the gentlemen that works out there, his back was bothering him really, really bad. In fact, he was the work he does out there. He was getting ready to have to go because he was hurting so bad. And so I just, you know, God's opened a relationship with me out there with these folks. I asked him to do that the first day I went out there, and he's given me a, a great relationship, friendship, relationship, and all. And uh, I just said, David, let me pray for you real quick. I was headed out. And so I just prayed a simple little prayer for David. And about two days later, I'm back out there, and David says, Hey, Mark, I want to let you know. I got home that night, and my back started feeling better. And he said, Today, no problems whatsoever. And he was back out there taking care of his, his chores. Now, I don't say that to brag because I'm going to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've laid hands on sick people. And if they got healed, they never took the time to let me know. But what I have come to realize is I won't ever get to see any miracles if I don't step up and put myself in the place to see them. I forget who it was. It wasn't Oral Roberts, but it was one of those guys, uh, and it wasn't Hagen. I can't remember who it was, one of the, what, we're, what we called at one time in the 70s and 80s, uh, faith healers. And someone was asking about all the numbers of miracles that he saw. And he said, what you don't know is the number of people I pray for. I pray for a lot more than I actually see the physical manifestation immediately. But he said, I pray for so many, you see a bunch. See, it's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen until you step up. And Jesus is sending us, church. 
Do you realize in this moment of our history, and I, you know, I can only speak for 60 years, this has got to be the most unprecedented time, not just for nation, but for the world. Is it just not absolutely crazy in our world? And how everybody has kind of gone crazy around the world. And there are hurting people. People are hurting like sheep without a shepherd if there's ever been such a thing. What Jesus saw that day on that side of the lake, he sees in greater mass and quantity today from heaven on this earth. And his answer is, feed them. Feed the need. Go to them. Take the anointing I've placed in you. Take my spirit and go lay hands on them. Go speak hope and truth and encouragement to them. What is it you have received that you could give? Well, you've received grace from Christ. Somebody needs a miracle of grace. They need to know there's grace in Christ, but they need somebody who will appreciate and accept them even though they failed miserably and will come alongside them, help them back up and on the right way with Jesus. You've received encouragement when you were broken, when you were down. You received encouragement and hope. And the miracle is there's some folks that are downcast and heavy right now. And all they need is somebody full of the spirit of Jesus Christ to bring hope and encouragement that Jesus is in control when everything else looks out of control. That he is the anchor. They need to know that. They need to encounter him. And it it isn't going to happen just out of the blue. Jesus sends you and I. He's given you certain abilities, and the miracle is going to be that you show up at the right time in the right place, and you're able to help them. Now, a miracle in the definition of the dictionary is really kind of defined as uh, an occurrence that happens uh, that can't be explained scientifically or, or naturally. But you see, to me, miracles are happening all the time. And so, you know, the Lord sends someone to us to... To, to do something for us that blesses Leash and I. Now, we could look at that and say, well, that's easily explained scientifically. They had $50, and they just felt in their heart they should give us $50. No, 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 not in the kingdom. If you got a kingdom worldview, what just happened was God put it in the heart of someone, whether they knew it or not, put it in the heart of someone to be where they needed to be to provide a miracle something that we weren't going to have without that. Is that, is that you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The natural world calls it coincidence. There are no coinky-dinkies in the kingdom of God, right? Wasn't that Lucy? Was that Lucy that termed that, I think? Anyway, I'm looking at the Lucy expert right over here on the front row. There are coincidences. Maybe science can explain it. Maybe Natural means can explain it, except what gets me is the timing. Who can explain the timing? You can't accept God. And so he sends us. He sends us with spiritual gifts. He sends us with Jesus into the need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't use the message a whole lot, but this year, every year when I do my reading through the Bible plan, I, the last several years I've tried to read from a different translation. I, I preach from the English Standard Version, but in my daily reading, I'll read one year through the NIV, one year through the uh, ESV or whatever. This year, I, I, I hesitated, but I decided I'll read through the message. It's interesting. It's legit. I don't have any question about that. I'm, I'm not questioning its legitimacy. It's just worded so different from the way I memorized scripture and stuff that it kind of is a little weird. I'll go back to the NIV and look up and say, okay, what did that say there? Because <laughs> that's how I memorize it. Anyway, here it says this, 2 Corinthians 1, all praise to God the Father and of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times. So that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. 
Now, in the NIV, that says something like this. He offers us encouragement with the same encouragement we've received to share with others. He's not asking us to go share anything that he doesn't give us. And again, you may not have it till you get there. You may not have it till you get there. You're sent with Jesus, with the anointing and power of his Holy Spirit. Not your wisdom, not your abilities. You are his agent for the miraculous in your generation, church. You are the agent of the miraculous for Christ. And then the third truth is this. You find the need, or I'm sorry, you feed the need based on what you give for Christ. You feed the need based on the model and the mandate, the compassion and care of Christ. You, you feed the need based on what you receive. He gives it to you, but you got to give it. You got to do something with it. If you're Peter standing there with Jesus that day and you get a small piece of fish and a small piece of bread and you just stand there, when everybody else walks away with 11 basketfuls of bread and fish to eat on the way home at the retreat, you stand there with a small piece of fish and a small piece of bread. That's it. Unless you give it, it doesn't multiply. Philip made it clear that they didn't have enough money to give everybody something to eat. So Jesus says, you feed the need. Take this and you feed the need. And when they show up at each circle and they start breaking it up, there just happens to be enough. But it doesn't multiply until they give it. They had to be willing to give it in order to see the miracle happen. Jesus has every resource available to you and I to meet the need of humankind. Everyone in your circle of influence. He's equipped us. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. And with that, he has every resource available to you. You see, we, Jesus told us in the model prayer of the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, heaven invaded earth. Where has Jesus been for all of eternity? In heaven. When he came as a baby born in Bethlehem, and he grew and matured in stature and favor with God and men, and he began his public ministry at the age of 30, you, what you have is you have God with us, right, Emmanuel, you have heaven on earth. And God says, pray that heaven will meet every circumstance and situation on earth. Because you see, God's already got it up here in motion. He just wants to bring it down here. And you know where he brings it? Through you. Through me. That's where it comes. He's looking for us to stand in the gap. Here's God's will up here. Here's suffering humanity down here. God says, I want to get this to them. Breaks it off, puts it in your hand, and sends you. Is it possible that there's so much cynicism toward God and the supernatural and the miraculous because the church hasn't shown up where the needs were and those who were in need grew deeper in need and became more cynical and, and more hard towards God. Where is this God? Where is this God? Well, he's sitting in here. But if he stays here, they don't know him. And they don't see his love. And they don't see his power. They don't see the miraculous that he can do. They hear us preach about it, but then they say, where is this God? And Jesus sends you and boom, God shows up in that circle. You got to give what Jesus has given you. You give of his spirit. And what has he given you? The fruit that he's given you is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. You say, pastor, I'm such a hot mess right now and so messed up and mixed up in life. And I love Jesus and I know I've got the Holy Spirit, but my life's a train wreck. But you know what? You need to tap into this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, this faithfulness, this gentleness, this self-control that's already in here, and you need to go untap it for someone here. When I was going through that season of depression that I've shared with you guys about in recent years, 
the counsel of one of my very dear mentors in ministry was, Mark, go out this week and do something for somebody else. Just go do something simple for somebody else. In other words, what he was saying is, put your big boy pants on, get your eyes off of your own self, and find some freedom in doing something for someone else. The Lord always uses broken, weak vessels because that's who we are. But His grace is sufficient in my weakness, Paul says. The kingdom of heaven in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 7, it's not on your notes here or in the screen, but in verse 7, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in verse 8, he says, here's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is Matthew's version of Mark chapter 6 when Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received what? You have received the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Freely give that kingdom to others. Freely you have received, freely give. Back to John chapter 14, watch this, in the giving of what we have received. Jesus says, the person who trusts in me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things, because I am on my way to the Father and am giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. You can count on it, he says. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, in the NIV and others, he'll say there, uh, when you pray according to my Father's will. He says, along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. That is how the Father will be seen for who He is in the Son. And Jesus says, I mean it. Notice that. How will people know who God is? When we take Jesus to them. When we take Jesus to them. And Jesus says, I'm anointing you with the Holy Spirit to do even greater works. Now, we're not talking about quality of miracles. We can't do any greater quality of what Jesus, the Son of God, did in the way of the miraculous. What we have, though, is now this opportunity that I'm filled with the Spirit, Leisha's filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled, you're filled, you're filled. There's millions of us across the continents today, filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, and where Jesus could do a miracle here and a miracle there, he can do miracles anywhere he wants and needs today. If, if we will step up to feed the need. If we'll follow his model, if we'll obey his mandate, if we'll let him put into our hands and give what he's given us. Tangible things, physical things, spiritual things, versus whatever he's placed in our hands. Your application this morning, friends, is this. Let Jesus use you. What if I pray for somebody at work and God doesn't answer? You're not responsible for that. Maybe one of the greatest things will be that they'll realize... The Lord sent you to them. In other words, the Lord was looking for them, looking out for them. And maybe his miracle is not intended as we prayed it, but perhaps just the act of you being willing to say, let me pray for you. Something the Holy Spirit grabs in their heart that lets them know, I do love you. I do care for you. You don't know what God will do with that. Did the disciples realize when they got one little bitty broken off piece of fish and bread that they were going to walk out with 12 basketfuls left over? Absolutely not. You don't know that until you go do what you've been given to do. I'm going to close with Mark 16. I'm going to skip ahead. Here's the mandate. I want you to follow this closely. Mark 16, Jesus says, go into all the world. Now he's talking to his disciples after his resurrection. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. But watch this. So here he says there, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who do believe. Are there any believers in the house this morning? 
then I want you to read these next words with me. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Who is that? Us. So we could dismiss that. Well, that was the disciples. So if you're, the, if you're of the school of, cessa, of cessation, cessation, not sensation, cessation, that the miracles ceased with the early apostles in the first century church and they are no more. If you're of that school, you take this to simply mean the disciples. What you miss if you're in that school is the verbiage that Jesus uses here when he says, and those who believe. Not you 12, you already believe. Who? Those who believe in the gospel you preach will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will cast out demons. If you're a believer today, Jesus was talking about you, my friend. You are historic. You're a hero. You're in the Bible. You're in that word, whoever. That's you. So let me ask you this morning, before we take our communion, who's Jesus been sending you to? Who's he been putting in your heart that, that you know you, you need to make a call? You need to pay a visit. You need to, to reach out. Who's he, who's he been sending you to? What's he given you that you could give them? You say, well, I really don't know. They've been in my heart, but I don't know. Then ask him. But what do you want me to do? Now, he may not give you the full picture until you get there. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, okay, you want me to call, so I'm supposed to call. Okay, so then what do I say when I call? Well, he'll give you words. He'll give you the words to say. He'll speak his counsel, his wisdom through you. So who's Jesus sending you to right now? What's he given you to give them? And then where the rubber meets the road this morning is when will you take it to them? When will you go and take it to them? He's called you to feed the need.